What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we have Jordan Schusterman of Cespedes Family Barbecue and FoxSports.com. Jordan had a lot to say about the Mariners' offseason, and we gave him a platform to talk about it here on this podcast. We'll take a look at Mariners' first baseman and our first base preview for the 2023 season. We'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you into the Marine Mariners podcast here on Tuesday, January 24th. And the Mariners, Lyle, have made their biggest free agent acquisition of the offseason. Aaron Goldsmith still a Mariner. Yes! You think it's a joke. I mean, it was... I was not thrilled to see he was a finalist for the Cardinals job. I mean, I would have been thrilled for him if that's what he wanted. But it's not a hot take or a bold statement to say Aaron Goldsmith's one of the best broadcasters in the entire business at this point. He is, and his resume and the games that he's done show that. And Mariners fans love him. So to see that he's going to stay here in Seattle for what seems like a long time at this point is awesome because he makes watching or listening to games just that much more fun. And he's a lot different than everyone else in the Mariners booth. Him and Gary are pretty alike, but in terms of Riz and Dave Sims, very different. Riz and Sims are much more old school, not as much into the numbers, but Aaron Goldsmith, very much into the numbers, and he's funny. He's so funny, and it's a great thing, the chemistry he has with Gary, that he has with Rick, that he has with Mike Blowers, that he has with Dave Sims. It's a real treat to the city, and I'm really glad he's not leaving. Like you said, I was worried too, because not only is that his hometown, St. Louis is a marquee job. For broadcasters, marquee. They talk about it all the time. You go into the broadcast booth in St. Louis, it is like a palace in there. I mean, we're talking about Harry Carey in in terms of legendary status there in St. Louis. Jack Buck, Joe Buck as well. Like, listen to those names. It's insane. It's going to be Chip Carey there instead of Aaron Goldsmith, the Braves TV announcer. It sounds like he's going to go to St. Louis as well. Good for him on getting that job. I'm glad Aaron's staying. You said it. Uh, He's very into the numbers, so he understands that there are new school fans watching. He wants to educate fans that maybe don't understand the analytics side of baseball as much, which is awesome. And and we try to do that a little bit here on this podcast because most people like us believe it's time for the game to progress forward and everybody understands this stuff. But more importantly than that, he's an easy listen. He's very personable. Like you said, he's funny, but he knows the right times to pick his spots to fill in some humor it it, like he is really really a craft well-crafted broadcaster is two people who aspire to be be broadcasters like we do you know he's a guy that you can listen to and take a lot from because he does so many things well he had really big shoes to fill he was filling dave niehaus's shoes right and you think about it the mariners had some shuffle in that booth over the couple of years where they're trying to find dave's replacement they're really struggling, and they took a chance on this super young kid to come out. He was 29 at the time, Lyle and I. I'm about to be 
25 here in a month and a half. Lyle's already 25. He's 29 when he took the Mariners job. And it could be a bit overwhelming for a lot of people, but he really handled it like a pro. We're so happy he's staying with the Mariners and someone that we can aspire to be one day if things break right and meet the right people and get the right job. So it, it's we couldn't be more happy for Aaron that he's staying here. And like he said, this is home now. The Pacific Northwest is his home, uh, his adopted home. Something that, you know, he said he loves St. Louis, but he feels like being here is the right spot. Hey, you know who else is staying home? Artie Mourinho. Yes. That yes. is another Thank win you. for Maris. Oh, fans. my goodness. Like, you, you want to you talk know, about... Like, we were so... We were so disappointed when we saw that the Angels were going to be for sale. The worst case scenario is another Steve Cohen buying the Angels and the Mariners. And we disagree on their money spending, how much they actually make, how they operate. But if you have someone who's actually willing to spend a boatload of money and you have, let's say safely, you'd have the Astros, Angels, and Rangers all significantly outspending you in your own division, that's an issue when it comes to long-term winning and retaining employees, retaining players, upgrading ballpark, all the, all those sorts of things. That's an issue, but not an issue with Artie Moreno staying. Uh, I mean, this has been a phenomenal week for M's fans. We find You find out Aaron Goldsmith staying, so the broadcast booth stays intact. Everybody loves Goldie. And then you find out the Angels will remain the Angels. They're not going to get Joe Lake up, who's with the Warriors. They're not going to go get another Steve Cohen. No, they're they're staying with Artie Mourinho. So if you're a Mariners fan and hoping for more mediocrity for the Angels, the odds of that probably just went up. And I think Shohei is now guaranteed to not stay. He sees that. It's like, no, I'm good. Exactly. Will he come to Seattle in 2024? That's TBD. We didn't get into a whole lot of Shohei talk with Jordan Schusterman, our interview today, but we did talk just about all things Mariners regarding the offseason, looking forward to 2023. He was our interview for today's show, and he was awesome. I mean, it felt so much different than some of your typical interviews. I mean, we were sitting there, and in the most basic sense of the term, basically just shooting the shit about the Mariners and how they're going to look in 23 and what they've done so far. It was really cool because we just sat and talked with them and we all kind of got our thoughts out and, and where we kind of viewed this team going. He's kind of the, he is the person where I have a whole page of notes, Mariners, things I want to talk about. I didn't look at him once. So that's, it's that kind of interview. Those are always the best kinds of interviews. You're seeing the person face to face and it just, flows there's no struggle there's no issue <coughs> excuse me at all and that's how it felt with Jordan we know him and Jake Mintz's partner at Cespedes Family Barbecue are some of the best personalities in baseball and we're really happy that Jordan was able to spend some time and talk to us and really get to see that personality I personally haven't been able to meet Jordan in person briefly met both of them me and you were both together at this time at the 2019 winter meetings but not for any extended period of time. You've gotten to talk to Jordan Moore, and I'm glad you were able to make the connection so we could talk to him here on the show today. It was it was really a treat. Yeah, it was awesome. I was broadcasting this past year for the Dayton Dragons, who are the high A affiliate of the Reds. He was at a game this past year. We got to talking. We were both Mariners fans, so we kind of hit it off with 
a lot of different things that we could kind of chat about because we're both diehard fans of the team. And it was really cool. He's exactly the way he seems on Twitter or, or when you listen to his podcast or see some of his video content. It's pretty cool. Cespedes Family Barbecue, they've been a Mount Rushmore baseball Twitter account really since we were in high school and they just continue to grow and to get to talk to him about the Mariners because he's a huge Mariner fan. It was, it was pretty cool. Let's not keep you waiting on that any longer. Let's get to our interview with Cespedes Family Barbecue's Jordan Schusterman. We welcome on Jordan Schusterman to the Marine Layer podcast. Jordan's an analyst, an MLB analyst for Fox Sports. He helps run one of the most popular baseball accounts on Twitter, Cespedes Family Barbecue. And he's a noted Mariner fan. Jordan, thanks so much for hopping on with us. This is awesome. Thank you guys for the invite. Um, I, uh, I, I I love being a part of the, the Mariners fan community. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be welcomed in as a someone with zero Seattle ties, uh, but I, a team that I have, I have, I've cheered for passionately for, for over 10 years now. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk ball, man. This is spring training is right around the corner. I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to be getting down to uh, Peoria this year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. This is a, this is a fun time, a fun time of the year. So Jordan, when we talked about having you on, you were saying, and even before the show, you were saying, I have so many thoughts about the Mariners these days, and I just need a place to get them out. So we're more than happy. We're more than happy to let you do it. I was actually hoping to ask you a little bit though, before we get into that, number one, with how you've kind of grown and you're, you're in Jake Cespedes family barbecue, Twitter account and world has kind of grown. How did you guys start it up and how did you guys find yourselves continuing to progress over time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was 10 years ago. Um, it was really crazy. I guess a little more than 10 years ago, our, 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 our blog anniversary for, if you want to call it that, when we started the actual website was December, 2012 when, uh, during our senior year of high school. And really what it was is, Jake and I were just the only people in our kind of respective high school friend group that like really liked baseball. You know, like there were some casual fans here and there, um, but like the real true dorks who, and and honestly, the, the the name we always cite, which has become relevant now, and I actually just wrote about him for Fox's Jurex and Profar, who at the time was like a really, you know, huge prospect. And like, that's the kind of guy like prospects and minor league stuff. That's the kind of stuff you kind of, you really got to like baseball to like get into that stuff, especially at the time. It's a little more common now, um, certainly with fantasy baseball and, you know, prospects are a little bit more mainstream, but even 10 years ago, it it definitely took a little bit more digging and and more obsession with the game. And and Jake and I shared that. So we started the goofy website with the nickname and background and inside joke that we didn't think we'd have to explain to anybody. Um, and then we just kind of wrote it out. We, we, the Twitter, I think we started, I guess, in March of 2013. And then it's really just been a place for us to, to share our thoughts and how much we, we love the sport. And we've been lucky enough to kind of carry that on into a career and and work at a couple of different places, do a couple of different podcasts. And now we're, I mean, this is, we're, we're gearing up for probably our busiest season ever. Um, which is super exciting, but we're now doing a ton of college baseball stuff and minor league baseball, and I'm, I'm a big draft guy. So we're really lucky to do what we do, and it's just a matter of, of, of kind of parlaying the amount of obsession we have for it and kind of sharing that and finding the people to kind of share that with. So that's, that's the long and short of it. 
So then how did you choose the Mariners from someone who grew up about mm-hmm. as far away as possible from them, a, a franchise that has an entire six-part documentary on <laughs> Secret Base of how crummy yeah. they are? Yeah. And you decide, yeah, that is the one I'm choosing. Great. That's a great question. Because because of exactly what you're describing, right? Why would I opt in um, to this? You know, I didn't. Now, to be fair, so I grew up in the D.C. area. And so I didn't really have a team um, when I was really little. I was Sammy Sosa was my favorite player for sure. Uh, but the Nationals showed up when I was 10, but they sucked. And they were really lame. They were really there was really nothing to get excited about with the Nationals. Um, now fast forward and I, I was a huge, my family's Nats fans and I, I, I was rooting for them like crazy in 2019. And I still, you know, my brother's a huge Nats fan. So still kind of had that later on, but for me it was, it was Felix. Um, and I didn't really have a team in high school and it was a combination of Felix lookout landing, reading Jeff Sullivan, lookout landing. And when I first got MLB TV, I loved staying up for the late night games. I love staying up for West coast games like that. I know some people, it's so funny now when like the Mets go on a West Coast road trip and just all of Mets fans are just like complaining about staying up. I'm like, I love this. I don't know anything different. Like I love a 10 p.m. first pitch. Like that is all, like that's, that's, those are the games I wanted to watch. Now you could say, well, what, why weren't you just a Dodgers fan? <laughs> right. And that would have been a reasonable uh, assumption. But it was really Felix was just my favorite pitcher um, by far. And, you know, that perfect game really, uh, really kind of, kind of cemented it in 2012. Um, that's a very, I would say that's a big part of it. And then, yeah, I guess, I guess you can't cause it's a little, you got my K, my K flag yeah. and my Felix stuff up there <laughs> with Pablo Sanchez. And then here to the side here, we got Cespedes and then there's a Felix perfect game. There's a Unieski Betancourt bobblehead right there. So, um, I guess if you're listening to the pod, you can't see this, but point is, is I'm showing my Mariners fandom credentials, but, um, <laughs> point being, yeah. So, and then it was just like, but also part of me being just like a huge baseball dork, like them being so terrible was like almost part of the, the allure because, you know, at that point, the drought's only 10 years old. So I wasn't really thinking about it as a drought, but it was like, oh, like if this team ever gets good, it will be really cool. You know, like that is something I did kind of feel. But at the same time, they were so dysfunctional at that point, front office wise. Um, then they signed Cano. Like that was like just a crazy like thing to happen early on in, in my fandom. And then obviously we you know, have to recap last 10 years, but but it was for me, of course, I wasn't born into it. I don't have family long history. You know, I don't like, like I love Ichiro and Ken Griffey Jr. too. Like, duh. Right. Like who doesn't, but that's not why I'm a Mariners fan. Right. Like it's really Felix. And then I just kind of, kind of picked him and I rolled with it and I've been, I, and I, and it paid off, man. Like last year was, was incredible. I was at the Cal Raleigh game, obviously as Lyle knows, he was sitting a, a, a couple sections over because um, I, I ran into him there and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the rest is history. So. I, I'm, I couldn't be more excited to to still be be a fan of the team and, and whatever is coming next. I got to share one quick story with you before we hop into more Mariners talk because you mentioned Sammy Sosa your favorite was your favorite player growing up, which mm-hmm. I didn't know mm-hmm. he was my favorite player too when I was a young kid. And here's a little look mm-hmm. into some four year old five year old logic back in the day of mine. When I found <laughs> out Sammy Sosa Sammy Sosa corked his bat back in the day. Uh, I took some of my parents' wine corks, like taped it to a wiffle ball bat that we had and took it out to the backyard because I thought, oh, I can start hitting more home runs if I just do that because I love yeah, Sammy like, Sosa. Hey, right. uh, Everyone else is like, that's not cool. You broke the rules. You're like, no, that's, that's great. It's cool. I'll do whatever he does. Like, sounds good. <laughs> um, I have, oh, I don't know where it is. I have like a, like a really 90s, like Sammy Sosa hat 
I don't know where it is. I'll find it. Is it just all quick. gobbed up in pine tar? <laughs> no, no, it's not not in the that's that's funny. No, it's like it's just the style of it is like very like nineties dad hat. Like it literally like it's like an, I don't know, I'll describe it. Whatever. Point is I love Sammy Sosa. And I know that like if you followed us for a while, you know that we've like, you know, revered Barry Bonds in terms of a just like a, a whatever steroids or not, just like a, one of the best players ever. And like that's true, and I stand by all that, but the truth is, like five-year-old Jordan, it was all Sosa. Like that was that was the guy for me. Yeah, I was the same way. Well, as we dive into some Mariner-specific talk here, because as you said, you've got a lot that you want to kind of explain and get off your chest. So I'll kind of just start it off with this and leave it open-ended to you, and then we can kind of go from there. Are you satisfied as we sit here today on January twenty-fourth? Mm-hmm with what the Mariners have done so far this off season, because that's been a big topic in the Mariners world. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like, <laughs> I talked, I, I've mentioned this before. So like I, I, I went on a couple of pods earlier in the off season and it was like kind of in the middle, we had the Teoscar trade and then it was like, okay, well there's going to be more moves coming. So we got to be patient. We don't want to be not even from the standpoint of like, you know, just like trying to defend the front office, but just from the standpoint of like, I mean, there is a lot of off season left. And I think that, and, and I know DePoto's made this exact point, but I do think that it is fair um, from the standpoint of the sequencing of the offseason is, is, and just transactions in general just goes a long way into how we react to these things, right? I mean, there's a version of these last six months where it's all the same moves, except like they extended Julio last week. And we are just like over the moon that they extended Julio over the offseason. But instead, because that came during the year, you know, Castillo extension too, like come during the season, like those are huge moves. And that doesn't make the 2023 team better. And I totally recognize that. And we can get into this off season and the additions, you know, it's not like they haven't done some real things that have been really, really exciting moves for the organization to make. And I think you'd still say the same thing about the Teoscar trade in general. Like that happened so fast that we just kind of moved on and it was like, all right, Oh, wow. Okay. Teoscar Hernandez, like, Oh, great. And then it's like, okay, now we, now we kind of move on from that. And then as the longer we wait and the same thing kind of with the Wong deal, it was like, Oh, really? You're just not going to do anything in the winter meetings. You're not going to spend any money on any other free agent hitters. And so then what you kind of end up with is to me, if they don't add anybody else, I would give this off season a B um, because I do think that to just simplify it and be like, all they did was replace Hanniger and Frazier with Teoscar and Wong and then, you know, added some bit pieces around that. I think Teoscar is really, really, really good. And as far as certainty goes compared to Hanniger, I think definitely an upgrade. I, I love Mitch just as much as the next guy. But as far as like what we definitely think we are getting in 2023, I think that's a clear upgrade. And I think you could say the same thing about Wong compared to Frazier. Um, and I, and I know he doesn't hit the ball as hard as, 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 you know, some of the other top name, but like, I, 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 th- I think that, that those are both upgrades. And then beyond that, I think, you know, sure. We all were hoping for a bigger name, you know, maybe for the outfield to go with Kelnick or, or, or a DH. And once you kind of accepted that it wasn't going to happen, certainly up the middle, once you kind of accepted that, you know, that the shortstops or any of those guys weren't going to sign, I was like, all right, like Pollock is not, I'm not overjoyed, but like, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it does make a lot of sense. And it also is kind of a reminder that like they believe in Kelnick and this season is going to depend a lot on how he does, whether they had made a move or not. Right. Like they, like they, they could have, they could have just pushed him back to triple a and, and punt, but like, I think clearly they believe in him. 
they might be wrong, right? And we'll find out about that, I think, a, a couple months into this here. But I, I'm, I'm mostly satisfied. Um, it looks bad because you see the spending that went on in the rest of the division, and I totally get that. And that is worth criticizing. I do, I do agree. Um, at the same time, I think to say they didn't get better, I think is wrong. I think they did get better, and I think that they have a pretty, pretty strong team going into next season with, with a lot of real competition as well. Jordan, what are your thoughts on these long-term contracts? Are you a fan of a team like the Mariners signing a 10-year contract like they did with Robinson Cano? <laughs> yeah, so the Cano deal, I was just kind of reflecting on uh, earlier today because we're working on some, you know, Otani stuff for Fox and thinking about, oh, the Mariners going after Otani. I, I don't really want to talk about that because I just, I mean, it's <laughs> like, sure, like, oh, the Mariners are interested in Otani. Like, duh, like, so is every team. Like, I that doesn't do, like, that is like not news to me. So like, like there was some report that was like, Padres are going to go all in on Otani. It's like, okay, what is that? Who cares? Like, yes, he's the best player in the world. Like, uh, obviously all the teams are going to want to sign him. And I'm sure DePoto would like to get him again. I'm sure they will try whatever that means. As far as giving a giant contract like that, I mean, again, it's like the the obvious first response is not your money. So I, I don't care. That's what I say, right? That's what you say. But but so it's it's but here's the balance, right? It's like on one hand, it's, it's not my money. You shouldn't worry about it, right? Obviously, I don't care what the hell is going to happen with him in age 38 because I want him here now, and that's how free agency works, right? If you want to sign Trey Turner and you want to sign Xander Bogarts and you want to sign Judge or whoever. It's like, oh, oh no, age 38. It's like, okay, well, do you want him on your team now or not? Like, that's how free agency works, right? And obviously, this DePoto regime has said, no, it's, it's not worth to hand out those deals. I mean, the Robbie Ray contract, in retrospect, honestly looks so reasonable. <laughs> like, and even, even with this season, which wasn't that good, it looks totally fine for someone who's going to, you know, give you 30 starts a year. So as for, like, the super mega contracts like the Cano one, I mean... Again, it's hard to imagine them them doing anything like that, and I think that's why you see them do it with one of their own in Julio. Um, but I, look, that's just how free agency works. Like, it's you, you can't you can't you can't have it both ways. You, you can't. There's no free agency deal where you're going to be like, yes, that is perfectly reasonable. Like, that's not the market we're playing in anymore. <laughs> like, most of the deals, it's going to be a lot of money, and, and that's what these guys deserve. And these players got to get their their pay some way because getting not getting free agency until six years is is a, is not exactly the best system. <laughs> Was there a guy you think they should have signed for the contracts they mm. got? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I Yeah, so that's the thing, right? It's so easy to be like, oh, that's all it costs? Well, they just should have done that. And I, I, I totally understand that temptation. I felt that for a few minutes with Brandon Drury. Admittedly, that was one where it was like, that seems like an easy deal. But you just have to remember, there's so many things that go into this beyond the money that if it's close, especially for those smaller deals, it's like, he might just not want to come here. Like that's just a thing that like free agency, you just don't know. There's so many things that go into how much, yeah, yes, of course the money talks, but like, it's, it's not as simple as saying like, Oh, well they just should have given him that deal. They should have matched that. Right. So I, but I, but, but to answer your question, I'm not trying to avoid it. Like, I mean, yeah, I would say the jury one stands out as one that like, I think made a lot of sense, even if he was more of a utility guy. Like I think I do felt like he could have been super helpful. Um, but I think the upside with Pollock, especially when your deal is not that different. So I'm not, I'm not too, too worked up about that. But in terms of like the bigger ones, I mean, it's just so hard to say, like, I don't know. I love Xander Bogarts. Like, I think that would be sweet, but like, 
I don't know, like, <laughs> sure, yeah, of course, I would love to add Bogarts on the Mariners. I mean, he was the one when I was still, you know, crazy enough to think they were going to sign one. I was like, Bogarts was the one I would have wanted, but I don't know. It's, it's like Nimmo, like, I wouldn't know. I don't think I would have done the Nimmo one. So, um, but I don't know. So, but it's, 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 it's hard in retrospect. I, I've cooled down, right? Because in the moment when you're going after and you're pursuing these guys, it's like, oh, God, like, oh, they should have matched the Hanniger one. They should have done this. I don't really, at this point, I'm like not, not as excited about all those things. For me, okay. the Josh Bell one is, was, is mm. looking better and better by the day, especially looking at the first base depth. Lyle, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to get that in there. Well, I was interested to hear why you were out on Nimmo, because it's funny you say that. I was banging the drum for him all offseason, and TJ knows that. Mm. My theory on it was, I know he gets injured a lot, but he came off a five-win season. He walks at such a great rate. He just felt like a perfect leadoff hitter. You could slide Julio to two. And I thought he was going to get something like five years for 105 to 110. When I saw he was getting seven years to go back to the team he'd grown up with, I was like, okay, that's out of the Mariners price range. But I really wanted eight, eight years, eight, eight, eight years. Yeah. So no, but now again, like arguing over the separate state, like what, what's the, what's the difference? I agree with you at the start of the offseason. No, no, I, to be clear, this isn't me hating on Nimmo. Um, because I think I was like, I'd rather have him than Swanson. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and like that, that was what an interesting comparison. And I know they ended up getting pretty similar contracts. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. Like I, I, maybe I just was too accepting of the reality of them not giving out a big free agent contract right now and just accepted it wasn't really possible. Um, but like, yeah, I still thought about Benintendi, right? Like the Benintendi contract looks kind of reasonable, but you, you have to kind of think about what they believe in. And, and with the Kelnick question, like, it just doesn't seem like they wanted to commit big time to a long-term outfielder. It just didn't seem that way. And, and maybe that's a mistake. And maybe because those were the guys that were available, that those, those should be the floor raisers and the ceiling raisers that they should have gone after. But We'll see. We'll see. It's it's a big bet because you know Kelly's been so bad, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how we'll see how it works. Do you have a stance on him these days? Because it's funny here sitting here talking about Kelnick and how he's going to get some real playing time. TJ knows this. The way you guys have had your Mike Zanino is good slogan forever now. That's me with <laughs> Kelnick. Like I think I defend him harder than anybody on this planet. So I'm just like hoping and praying that he pans out to be everything that we originally once thought he can be, but I'm always curious to hear what other people's thoughts are on him. Yeah. I mean, everything that you hoped and dreamed, I wouldn't be counting on that. Maybe not everything. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard because with him, you have such an extreme case on so many levels where on one hand you say, you can point and say, he's still this young he still didn't play that many minor league games, which brings up the whole reason why, why were we expecting that much in the first place, right? At the same time, there's all the other evidence that says if you're this bad for this long, which is, again, not a huge sample, but still a sizable sample. If you're this bad, that doesn't mean you are never going to be a big leaguer. It's just there's going to be a limit on how much of a contributor you can be. Now, clearly, they've at least identified that he should not be facing left-handed pitchers anytime soon. And again, there's a long career ahead of him. Maybe he figures it out eventually. The struggles with off-speed stuff was just so maddening. And like, 
the the lack of adjustments there is what is the what is most troubling for me um and it doesn't mean it dooms him as a big leaguer it just means he is going to have to play a very specific role that i think he can develop and and do um which is the strong side of a platoon that is a good outfielder like that should still be a good player um but yeah and and again that's the thing like clearly they still believe in him enough to have him be a big part of this team this year and get a full season's worth of at-bats again, right? Uh, at the same time, like, he's going to be batting seventh or eighth, right? Like, I, I, that's how, and that's how it should be, right? I mean, and finding this balance here of he had so much pressure and this dude, I mean, it's also clearly so mental with him on top of, like, the physical red flags in terms of just how he's been, and and the, the off speed stuff like, but it, with him it's like with all the pressure that he puts on himself, let alone how much was already on him to begin with, you can tell, right? And he's had these stretches where he started to figure it out, and like even dude, like when I was there at the end of the season last year, like I get there he has the two homers before the end of the season, right? That last week mm-hmm. against uh, Texas, yeah, it's the Rangers. Right? It was the two two he had two homers in that Texas game, and I was like, all right, great. And then basically after that, he has like one hit the rest of the way, including the postseason, right? Like it was just, it was ugly, you know, like these, and you know, you get to the postseason and the pitchers know exactly how to, how to exploit you, whatever. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm done feeling too strongly in one way or the other with him. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not all the way out, but the other thing you have to remember, and I don't know how much trade talk you want to talk about or Reynolds or whatever, is just like everyone, the people that are trying to both believe in him and then throw him into any trade package is like there's a good number of teams that think he's just not good right Mm -hmm. like that's just a fact and so you don't know which teams those are that doesn't mean that all 30 teams i'm sure there are teams that would happily take a flyer on him but um and we know that they were willing to trade him last deadline for sure Mm -hmm. but again there's a reason he's still on the team it's a combination of the team like them wanting to trade him, but not finding what they want back for him is a sign of like, we still value him. We're willing to give up, give him up, but like, we're not giving him up for nothing mm-hmm. because we don't want that. And part of that is like not wanting to kind of take the L on, on that trade. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I just, I'm not waiting around anymore for, for the big upside at the same time, he doesn't need to be the best player on the team. That's the beauty of Julio. And that's the beauty of the depth that they have created. Uh, is that he should be able to hit seventh or eighth and just kind of do his thing. I feel kind of bad for him because on one hand, he was forced into a terrible spot on a crummy, in, in, right into a crummy lineup with all the pressure in the world on him. Number three prospect when he came up. His The other top prospect in the system just so happens to be an outfielder in two years will probably be the best player in all of baseball while he's now relegated essentially, like you said, to platoon duty and still hasn't figured it out almost not two full seasons into the big leagues, but, but parts of two seasons and it it's frustrating for him and, and frustrating for us too. Cause we had really just so high expectations for him and totally we, you trade for him. It's like, he's the, he's the drought ender. Yeah. That's what yeah. we thought. And that's what, what it we felt thought. like in 2021. He's, he's, he's moving up. He's in, he's in double a at 19 years old mm-hmm. and he's crushing the ball. And thinking all of this and this and that, and then he gets one COVID offseason in Tacoma facing <laughs> BP pitching, knocking a few balls over the wall, and then, okay, it's like, here we go. 
Right. Mm-hmm. It's like he has the big six games in Tacoma to start 2021, and then it's like, oh, he's ready. It's like, okay. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. This is another thing. Like, in retrospect, not in retrospect, I remember at the time being like, we cannot be shocked if this guy, like, he really has not played that much minor league baseball. Like, it's like he's obviously talented, but this is a huge jump. And when you factor in the COVID season that's missed, it's like, it was a, it was an insane amount of pressure to put on him combined with the like it's like yes they were manipulating his service time but that's a kevin mather problem because they the, that was the whole thing they could have had a very reasonable player development argument to keep him in triple a for multiple months and instead they were like we are manipulating his service time it was like all right well uh, okay well good good way to handle that so so he's just been that's that's the tough thing at the same time there are other teams that would say you know screw you you're going back to triple a you have a 178 batting average or whatever it is, right? Like, and instead they still believe in him, right? Enough to even let him get however many plate appearances it's going to be this year. And that's the thing. Cause like, I, here's here. Let's want to have a tough conversation. What if he's just still hitting 170 through, through a month and a half? Like that's where you start to, and I know that Pollock, you know, has shown as recently as 2021 to could be a full-time outfielder. And I'm sure that's part of it too. Right. Um, at the same time, like that's where you start to get worried. Now, at the same time, you look at the lineup again, he'll be batting eighth or ninth. That doesn't mean it sinks your season, but you are still running that risk in terms of him as a player, as an asset, as just in general, that we'll just see, we'll just have to see. And I, I hope, I hope that this year, um, I literally, like, I remember so vividly, I don't know if it was his last at bat or whatever in, in the postseason against Houston. I'm sure he went over in that, in that game, like the rest of the team did. But um, <laughs> I was just like, dude, literally should only see curveballs the entire offseason. He should not see a fastball in the in the cage. It should just be off-speed machine for four months straight because like it was so maddening watching it. And it's it's stupid. Baseball's really hard. This is I'm not saying oh I could do that. Like I know it's hard. I get it. But when it's that obvious what the weakness is, it's like please just that's all you should be focusing on. So. Whatever, I'm pulling for him because I do I do think he wants to be a part of the team and, and wants to be a contributor, but we'll see how it pans out. Well, we're still talking about the outfield here too, and, and I'm with you that the Teoscar trade was great for what Pollock can do in his role, was a really good sign. The only thing we've kind of sat here and talked about a little bit is a year from now, unless they extend Teoscar at some point this year, they're going to be right back at the drawing board because especially – to kind of bounce off our last conversation, if Kelnick does not pan out this year, you have one solidified outfielder. So that's one place where I've been a little nervous. I don't know if you have any nerves or your own feelings about how they've approached that. Totally fair. Um, and yeah, it's it's really hard to tell with Teoscar um, if they view him as also a trade and extend candidate the way they did with Castillo. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see with that. Um, I would imagine that that is not something Hernandez is going to do because I just wrote about this for Fox. Next offseason's free agents class is terrible after Otani, particularly on the position player side. And if you're looking, especially in the outfield, I mean, there's basically... So again, you've got like a, a selection of like upside guys like Bellinger and Gallo and like Harrison Bate, like guys who could have big years, but also could just totally suck and just aren't really relevant. So if you're looking at free agency, that's just like not, if you're looking at free agency next year, it's not going to happen. So that's, that goes back to the Nimmo question and the Benintendi question is like, 
are those outfielders worth committing to in a significant way? Or like DePoto has done, he will just swing a trade for someone we're not even thinking of a year from now, right? Let alone now if he's if he's still trying to do that. And yeah, that's totally fair, right? I mean, the thing we have to remember, and this this extends to literally the entire conversation about the team is something that TJ just alluded to, is that <laughs> when you have one of the best players in the game, <laughs> it kind of covers up a lot of other stuff, unless you're the Angels. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's truly, right? Like, I don't care that much about the corner outfield when you have Julio. It, it matters. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. you can just put replacement 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 level players out there, but like it, the, he he kind of kind of can carry in more ways than one, right? And that's that's that was true last year, right? Like when he's this good, yes, this extends to every part of the team, right? When he's this good, I don't care about who's batting seventh and eighth this much because he's batting 600 times, you know, like that <laughs> truly it's like, it's, it, and then it's not something we, we have been able to say about any Mariners team since I guess Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> I mean, like, like they've had good, they've had good offenses with Seager and with Cano and, and Cruz. Right. Uh, but like, that's not a thing that, that we've been able to say or any teams get are able to say. And so that is what kind of makes the whole lineup just look better. Cause you just remember how often he's going to hit. And that extends to just the long-term outlook of the outfield, in my opinion. Um, but it's a great question because I, I, I don't know. Because at the same time, you could say, yeah, but they were going to be in this issue anyway. It's not like Hanager is like a long-term solution either, in my right. opinion, right? Certainly as an outfielder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, look, love the guy. Absolute legend. One of my favorite Mariners, duh. Like, don't need to caveat all that. He is not a good outfielder anymore. Like, I just, that's, he's just, I, I understand. So I don't blame him. He said all these horrible injuries and he's, this is not the same outfielder. That's fine. But, you know, and, and Teoscar, same thing. I mean, he defensively is not really going to give you that much, but maybe he's the answer. Um, but if I'm him, I mean, I'm go, I'm hitting free agency as, as soon as I can, even if he does love it in Seattle and, and hasn't, maybe they blow him away. Like you could say the same thing about Castillo, but I do think that for Castillo, there's the the pitching free agent market is actually quite deep coming up. Um, and I'm glad that the Mariners aren't really going to have to think about that that much, which is pretty sweet. Uh, and I think a huge part of why they're in such a strong position moving forward, but that's kind of where I'm on the outfield. Like, I don't know. And it's like Cade Marlowe and Trammell, who knows what those guys. And if there's someone else that, that kind of pops up, um, not exactly counting on, you know, the, the Zach Deloaches of the world to, you know, blow us away, but um, uh, so yeah, it's it's a good question, and I would just to that I would say doesn't matter because of Julio. <laughs> Jerry's making me wince a little bit when he says that he wants Tramel and uh, Marlow. Did you just say yeah, Mar- Marlo. Marlo to be to be contributors on this team? I'm like, mm, I yeah, don't know. I mean, those not, are the not guys if you're trying to win like yeah. not if you're trying to win 95 games. Yeah, I, I mean, I I I feel that. Um, yeah, I. I don't know, because to me, I, I, that's super fair. And to me, like, this team's just going to go as far as this possibly top three rotation is going to go. Honestly. Right. Right. So, and bullpen. Right. So, like, we saw how far they could get last year while also, like, barely hitting <laughs> besides Julio. Like, they were pretty damn good while having an extremely uneven offense. And so I think they can kind of do that again. Um, but, no, it's a fair critique. Totally. I hear you. Speaking of I mean, pitching, I... we could just start, unless you had something else to add to the hitting there, Lyle. 
yeah, go no, ahead. I, I was, I was actually going to transition over to pitching here in a second, but I was just going to quickly add that. I think that's what people forget sometimes when everybody gets so caught up in the payroll thing. You just mentioned that the Mariners had a pretty good run in the playoffs this past year. Obviously they were in all three of those Houston games. It's easy to forget that the Dodgers have one title in the last decade where it seems like when you get to the postseason, it's all about who's hot. If the Mariners escape it's Houston, so I know. I mean, like, it's like, it's like, just about who gets hot at the right time. Well, it's not even just that. Like, we are both so lucky. And also, it was like the longest, however many days of you know our lives. We got the whole freaking postseason experience, man. Like, mm-hmm. after however many years, those games were so amazing and so just so hard to watch in a great, beautiful way. That like now you understand, right? You understand what you're up against. You understand how good the best teams in baseball are, obviously Houston. Um, but even Toronto, like it's just, it, it's exactly what you said. And it's all about being in position to get into the postseason. Not that they shouldn't try to catch Houston. I, I, and I get that too. At the same time, I mean, like the Astros are so far ahead of everybody that like you do what they did last year and then beat them in a series. You know, you're going to have to go through the Astros at some point. Um, and so I think that's going to be a big part of it. And, you know, also now with the more balanced schedule, you're playing fewer games in division. You, know, you gotta, you kinda, you gotta, gotta do the best with playing the games against crappier teams and other divisions or other league, even that you haven't played as much. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch too. But anyway, but, but yeah, it's, it's like, there's no team you could possibly build where it is that is world series guaranteed. I mean, Nashville's got as close as you can get and they're, they, they basically did it, but uh, but, and I guess you can say the Dodgers in 2020 also, even in the, in the short season, but, um, yeah, I, I, think, of course we can always say they should spend more. And I think that's a fair critique because yeah, they are still not in the top 10 or 12, even a payroll and coming off that season, you would, you would hope they would be, but I think that had more to do is just as much to do with what they kind of saw as buying opportunities compared to, compared to okay. just like being cheap. Um, I think we could transition over to pitching now. I've I've been waiting to just say this the whole show. Do you just mm-hmm. want to stand number one Matt Brash fan? Just want to stand up and and shout oh. from the mountaintop for for Matty <laughs> B's cutter? Yeah. Oh yes. No, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, here here here. I'm so um my my Brash takes are kind of all over the place because um I would trade him for Brian Reynolds tomorrow. But, uh, <laughs> but but not because I don't think he's awesome. It's more of those how much I believe in kind of the rest of the group. I think Matt Brash can just be one of the best relievers in baseball this year immediately, and I hope that that's what he is. And I know we've seen back and forth between he's going to stay as a starter. He wants to be a starter. He's not happy to be in the bullpen. I think by the end of last year, he kind of understood how good he could be there. And I think that it sounds like that is finally going to happen. Um, he was amazing, right? I mean, he's he's got some of the best stuff in the world and full stop. Um, and you could say, Oh, well imagine as a starter, it's fine. There are, there are times when I would be desperate to force him into the rotation, but he can make this team stronger by giving them what he can out of the pen in the seventh and the eighth in the seventh and the eighth, right? Like that he is a, especially now, like they're there. Some of the best teams have pitchers like this that can be really, really, really special. Um, so I say that about Reynolds just because, he is there, like he is the guy that I would assume. No, I could be wrong, right? Like there are other teams who say, "Oh, he's just a reliever. That's not worth much." But if he could be the headliner, I would do that in a second before trading Gilbert or Kirby. So, um, 
again, we don't have to talk about Brian Reynolds because I don't think it's going to happen, uh, but at least not now um, before opening day. But, uh, but yeah, I love Brash. He's, he is, and that was also, and you remember this, Lyle, like the, the, the Raleigh game, like that, a huge part of that game was Brash. I don't think he struck out the side, but sure, that strikeout to send it to the bottom of the ninth mm-hmm. was like as memorable as the homer. Like I, I was like, that was such a big part of it too. So yeah, he's, he's awesome. And I'm just excited to see him in whatever, whatever form that is. To see Brash and Munoz for another full year in that bullpen, eight and nine or whatever situation Scott Service wants to mix him in with, that that is going to well, be fun. This like, is the this is the other thing when we're talking about oh how do they get better? It's the same team. Well, it's a whole year of Luis Castillo. It's a whole year of Matt Brash as this version of Matt Brash, right? Um, and you know you're not guaranteed to have the exact same performance, especially from relievers. But like those are big pieces, man. Like those are things that like look at Kirby. I mean, Kirby, like the, how good Kirby was at the end. And like, like it's just, there's, there's upside that's already on the roster that I don't think is being talked about enough. And that's, that's why I'm so excited for the season, right? Of course we all, every team wants their team to add more. That's not uncommon, right? That's just how the off season works because we're all cold and tired and, and bored of, you know, hearing about people's fantasy football teams. And so we just want our baseball team to sign people. So I get it. I totally get it. But I, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying is I think that there's, there is more upside that's already on the roster that, that we should still be just as excited about. Which pitcher are you most excited to see besides Mm. Matt Brash? Yeah. I mean, Kirby, I mean, Kirby, just like, think about where we last left off with him, right? And I know they played another 10 innings and they couldn't get a single goddamn hit, let alone base whatever run, whatever. Um, but no, I mean, Kirby is, is absolutely the top of the list. Um, I don't even think it's especially close, um, but I love Luis Castillo so much. Like I, he's always been one of my favorite pitchers. So I still feel so lucky that he's, he's on the team and just seeing him probably start opening day i would imagine yeah i would think so he was if you're going game one of the postseason i guess you kind of take that title away from from robbie or or any of those guys you know i'm glad you brought up castillo a little bit because i wanted to call something back with you the way you and i met was Mm, i was broadcasting mm -hmm. games this past year for the dayton dragons you were at Mm -hmm. a game we sat and talked for a little bit and we were Mm -hmm. talking mariners because we found out the two of us were both fans of the M's as we're sitting there watching Noel V. Marte is yep. a freshly admitted member of the Reds organization. Uh-huh. We're talking about the Castillo trade. I remember saying to you, cause we're talking about potential extensions at some point, And I mentioned Castillo. I think I remember you saying something along the lines of, I don't really love the idea of giving any pitcher an extension, but now that we fast forward and they've done it, has your opinion changed on that? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> okay. Yes. In that. I just love Luis Castillo so much and I hope he's on the Mariners for as long as possible. So I'm glad that's true. Like, I'm glad I'm just not even thinking about him being on another team already this year where like, it feels like the clock is ticking. Um, But I stand by the sentiment just because Mm -hmm. pitchers are terrifying and I did they're, you know, that's just a reality, right? Like anything like, so, so, but I'm, I'm, I feel great about it. You know, it's just, and also again, like, look at the contract it's like totally normal like again no, you could again you could always like tj right you could say it doesn't matter not my money it doesn't matter the difference between them paying him 100 million versus 300 million is essentially irrelevant to me and, and you could make that argument that's fine 
But as far as if we're just, if we're operating in the world of this deal, if they're only paying him this much means they should be able to spend this much on this much, then like, it looks great, right? Five for a hundred million. Like, I mean, it's not even or for what, hundred six for 120 with the vesting option. Like, come on, the dude's a top 20 pitcher easily, if not better than that. I mean, it's not, it's not even close. So like, that's, that's a layup. So in that sense, it, it market wise, it looks totally reasonable, but any pitcher, you just can't be surprised by any pitcher um, getting injured. And that's, and that's the other thing about kind of putting all your eggs into that all the pitchers are going to stay healthy because that's the other reality of last season. If you're saying upside wise is that, well, yes, there's more upside talent wise. I do believe that with Kirby, with Brash, with Julio even, and, and also Gilbert, I think. Um, but boy, were they healthy on pitching wise uh, for the most part. And so part of me wonders if that's why they're hanging on to Flexen and Marco. I still think they will trade Flexen before opening day. And I think that's more of a, to me, my, my take on that is Flexen is not necessarily someone that teams are like going crazy to acquire, but when guys go down in spring, he is, ex- he suddenly becomes extremely valuable to teams. Um, and so that's why I think he kind of is going to, going to be dangled in that sense. And, you could argue that that's again that that depth is worthwhile to keep, um, but that's kind of my stance on that. And I don't know if I like that or not, but um, I, I understand it if it helps them, you know, get something else that they can need. But um, but yeah, so that's kind of kind of where I'm at. And that's what kind of makes me. But but I, I also still stand by what I'm pretty sure I said when we were when we were watching Robbie Martes. It's like, and that was before we watched Luis Castillo in the postseason, right? Right. It's like that's the whole damn point. Like. I wish Noel V. Marte the best. I think Edwin Arroyo is going to be good. Like all these guys, but like, why are we doing any of this? Is so that the Mariners can be in the postseason and like win a game, and that's why you get Luis Castillo. as a whole point. And for anyone like it's, and I tweeted it exactly when it happened when they made the trade. Is that oh the report that's like Rangers tried hard but came up short, and so and so Yankees tried hard but oh they ended up with Montas. Like this is why you give them. The, that next guy because this is that's the whole point <laughs> that's the whole yeah. point could could I you imagine the, could you imagine the mariners twitter world if the rangers got luis castillo like we should they be gone montas instead right or I mean, that like, i mean the rangers suck so it's not like that was going to make a difference for them but like if if the mariners had to end it up with montas or tyler malley or whatever like, yeah. <laughs> like different ball game um, yeah, so anyway. It is funny because I'm scrolling on the top 100 prospects the other day, and I see Noelvi there at 17. I think he got a bump from where he was, and I'm like, wow. I always forget he's ranked that high as a prospect, even though he moved off of shortstop. It, well, here's he's a, gonna he's probably going to be a red this year, I think. Uh, they, I would bet against it because they have like 17 shortstops now, which by also, I would say, Arroyo's going to be better than Marte. So... I'll just I'll I'll put that in there. I'll I'll throw that throw that in, which I don't know if that makes it feel any better or worse. But I'm I'm much more. Um, I I think I heard Depoto say this on another pod recently, that like the trading Arroyo was like the hardest one he's he's had to do. Yeah. Um, and that's super fair. Uh, we heard that but, too. We have a buddy who who was yeah. doing video down in Modesto, and he was one hundred percent on that train. He saw yeah. Edwin every single day. He's like, yeah. "This dude is a stud, yeah, an absolute so, stud." I'm not even thinking. About, I mean, I, again, hope wish Noel be the best, but uh, but again, still don't care. Doesn't matter. Like watching Luis Castillo against Toronto was like 
that was like a top, you know, five Mariners game I've ever watched. Like that was just the coolest, even more than the, I mean, the comeback was amazing. Like obviously these, all these things are different, cool for different reasons, but just like having someone like that, that you can just give them the ball and just be like, all right, game's over. Cool. Sweet. Get like two runs. Like that is, oh man, that is just so freaking sweet. And then to see what Kirby did later, like same kind of thing. So. Just to go up against their best, too. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing from me. Mm-hmm. Just set the bar here. We're going to hold you to this the entire season. What's your <laughs> prediction? What's going to happen? Oh, just full full prediction? And yeah, what, what, what do you, what do you think? The, how, how do you think this season shakes out? Oh, boy. it's a Dude, January 24th is a little early for season predictions, but I will because I like you guys. I'll give you a season prediction. So let's see. So last year, they won 90 games, correct? It's, it's, I believe that's the, the number of games that they won. So 90 and 72, you're expecting, you know, Rangers to be better. I have no faith in the Angels. A's are terrible. Astros are amazing. I think they will win 88 games. And I think that they will have one of those wild card spots again. I think more likely uh, again to be in that second or third spot than the first one. Um, but I'm, I'm still pretty optimistic and I think that they will be aggressive again at the deadline for guys, whether it is Reynolds, whether it is other guys that we're not thinking about yet that could help. Um, I think they got a good thing going and I understand the consternation about, uh, about how it looks compared to the rest of the division. So maybe it's a little, little, uh, a little optimistic there um, to say, oh, well, they got better, but they're going to win fewer games. Um, but I still just think that the Central, hmm, especially with Minnesota, should not be that bad. And the AL East is just so good that it's going to be really hard to kind of hang in there uh, in that wild card race, let alone Houston. So that's kind of where I, I take away a couple wins there, but. I still feel pretty good. Feel pretty optimistic. I think they'll be a wild card team again. And uh, yeah, I'd put it right now at eighty six to eighty eight wins. Sure. I don't know what the projections say, but yeah. I'll finish off with this with my last question. Not a season projection, but we haven't dove into Julio that much somehow in these forty five minutes. So I'll leave you with this: How much better can he get from his rookie year in year two? No oh, man. I mean, that's the thing. Like. You factor in, like, <laughs> there's two parts of Julio's season that are that you have to remember about how good he was considering X. If you look at, if you basically just scrap April, he was like a top 10 player in the league from May on, right? Um, maybe even higher than that, I think. Um, so you just get rid of April. You, I mean, he had some injuries along the way that, you know, took away uh, some playing time. Obviously, at the end, as we know, he wasn't even playing for that that last little chunk. And then you kind of realize that, like, he was this good with really no... Like, he was kind of up there just swinging. He wasn't really... <laughs> like, like he's... In the way that you're sure you could say the league could adjust to him, yes, that's true, the way that they'll pitch to him. But he was... And, and by the way, I feel this... I know this is, like, a to- going out of my way to praise another player... This is also how I feel about Michael Harris because like for him to be that good with never ever walking and just swinging like absolute crazy 
To me, you could argue that says screams regression. To me, it says, oh, well, once he starts actually dialing it in, I mean, watch out. Like, and I'm, I, there's no reason to kind of put any sort of ceiling on Julio for all the obvious reasons that we all know as people who have watched him. Um, but man, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really surreal. And I would say that all of the disappointment with Kelnick, it's n- like the Julio positivity and the Julio, how good he is immediately compared to anything we could have hoped just wipes all that away with ease. It's like not even a question, like not even worried about Kelnick. Like I just like, I don't even, I just don't even care because it, for them to have, we always thought, oh, they had two of these guys. It's like, that's not a prospect's work. Generally it's not, they're not all going to be what you expect. And so to end up with one being already one of the best players in baseball is just, is just amazing on top of him being just like the coolest, nicest, funniest, smartest person ever. So, you know, that's the other thing, right? He could be this good and he could be a total snooze fest. Um, that is not the case. So we are so lucky. We are so lucky. He is on our favorite baseball team. Yeah. And for the next 13 to 17 years too, just to make it that <laughs> forever, much better. forever and ever, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> amazing. Well, Jordan, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for taking nearly 50 minutes to sit and talk some Mariners with us. We've had a blast. Hopefully you've, you have too. And here's to hoping for a really good 2023 for the ends. Absolutely. Let me leave you with this, guys. And I'm sure you've maybe started to see this. You follow the team. Bryce Miller. Don't, mm-hmm. don't forget about Bryce mm-hmm. Miller. Mm-hmm. That should have been my answer before. Okay. But like this is just, let's just end on that. Bryce Miller, just saying it. Saying the name, we'll, we'll end there. <laughs> Bryce Miller, if you're not a big prospect guy and you haven't heard the name yet, get to know it now, now you before know. it's too late. Now you know. Jordan, thanks so much. We appreciate it a ton. Thank you, guys. This was super fun. Well, thanks so much to Jordan Schusterman for coming on the show with us. I thought that was an awesome interview. It was great to talk with him again. Again, I met him back in Dayton during the minor league season. He was one section over from me, like he mentioned, at the Cal Raleigh walk-off home run game. We're going to celebrate. He came over and high-fived everybody after the home run. And to have him on the podcast to talk about a little bit of the 2022 season, but mostly to re- to preview what's going to be on tap in 2023, I thought was cool because we covered a lot there. We did. You've gotten to talk to him a lot more than I have, so it was really good as somewhat of a a semi you can't even say formal introduction but we want again we met them briefly at the winter meetings you've been able to connect with jordan and able to ask him to come on the podcast which is really great and just to pick his mind a little bit about baseball he's you know i i feel like i spend a lot of time thinking about baseball in the day-to-day but my main job i don't cover major league baseball primarily so it's sort of secondary it's all in my free time but him it's his like it is his job to look at the entire league, the entire, the whole time. So to get his perspective on a lot of things was really, it's really great. And their personalities are awesome. They're, they're what every, everything that baseball fans should be bubbly, excited, cover every which way baseball is played. I mean, they have a whole section dedicated to D3 baseball, which is really funny. And the last thing I didn't get to ask him about, maybe when the next time he's on, we can ask him. He has a Jerry DePoto tracker of every transaction Jerry has ever made, which I think is absolutely hilarious. And when they're at the winter meetings this past year, I wanted to ask him what Jerry's reaction was to that when he showed it to him. Yeah, it was really cool. They got DePoto on their podcast, the Baseball Barbacast, 
for an interview. And if you haven't checked that out, you should. It's a really cool interview. And, and it's about Jerry kind of reminiscing on all the trades he's made in his tenure as the Mariners GM. And you said it. They, they know baseball extremely well, but they talk about it and cover it in a really fun and unique way. And to have him on and see some of his personality on with us talking Mariners was pretty cool. Especially if you live under a rock and haven't paid attention to anything that's gone on this offseason. I think we covered almost everything. Like we covered a whole lot on that on that segment. Well, TJ, you ready to get thing... to oh go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say the only thing we missed was sort of who's next, but he he mentions Bryce Miller at the end, and I'm all in on that. I'm all in on Bryce Miller. We'll talk about Bryce Miller though when we preview the bullpen. I believe we're going to do, Lyle, I think we said we're going to do the starting rotation and the bullpen at the same time, right? Oh, I thought we said separate because it's two very different things. Okay. What you, I think what you said was we're going to do the bullpen as a whole. We're not going to do each position in the bullpen. Right. Right, right. Exactly. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Well, let's get to our first base preview here because as we continue with our position previews as the offseason rolls on, we did catcher last week. We're going to preview first base, another position, TJ, where job security is pretty safe for Seattle starting first baseman. Ty France comes off another really good 2022 season. By the numbers, he made the all-star game, put up a 125 OPS plus, just above a three-win season, classified as a good year. But I think it's safe to say his 2022 campaign is to be dissected in two very different parts. That's what I think, too. And I'm going to ask you, which do you expect is the tie France we're going to get? Is it pre-injury where he was one of the best hitters in baseball? Prior to June 23rd, he had um, he had an Oakland A, uh, Sheldon Noisy, run through his arm on a bad throw from Abe Toro at first base, hyperextended his elbow. Uh, the diagnosis was a flexor strain. So before June 23rd, Ty France had a 156 WRC+, plus, one of the best hitters in baseball, earned himself his first career all-star nod. And then after that, just a 94 WRC+. Plus. And it's kind of been like that for Ty. It happened to him a little bit last year in the 2021 season. I say last year, which is technically now 2022. So two years ago now, in 2021, he had, a, he had that uh, writ. He got hit by a pitch on a wrist by Dustin May down at Dodgers Stadium. And that really kind of threw him into a funk for a little bit where he came then came back and finished the season really strong and put up respectable numbers. Didn't really happen this year though. He he struggled down the stretch and makes me just a little skeptical if we're ever going to get a full season of Ty France looking as good as he did in the first 311 plate appearances of 2022. Yeah, so we're just going to jump right into this about the whole injury bug and Ty France. It's funny, I think that Dustin May hit by pitch was at home because I was I was at that game, and I remember hearing way down the third base line when he got hit in the wrist or the forearm, and, and you could hear You're it. You're probably right. It was it was loud, and I was shocked he even tried to run back out to third base back when he was still the third baseman after he got hit. I remember he took a couple throws, and he's like, yeah, I can't do it. I'm out. So let's dive into this because this is an interesting topic. After Ty France got run into in Oakland, his season totally changed. He had a tough second half. After leading all first basemen in WRC plus before that injury, do we feel like the injury was the reason for Ty France's struggles in the second half last year, or was it truly that he got exposed? Because this has been debated a little bit. 
He got away from his approach. He was chasing a lot of pitches. He didn't have a whole ton of success for a lot of pieces of that second half. I think it was injury related, but there are people on both sides of this. There's a couple things here to look at. He hit the ball on the ground a lot. If you hit the ball on the ground a lot, your success and your ceiling for offensive efficiency and success is really limited. 47% ground ball rate. And when I look at that, and his hard hit rate is not very good. His average exit velocity is in the 24th percentile. It's not great for a guy who's supposed to be a first baseman. First basemen are supposed to slug. Uh, When that's the case, you're not slugging a whole lot. With Ty France, Fangraphs projects him to put up about the season he did in 2021, which is three wins above replacement and a 129 WRC+. I think most Mariner fans would take that. Over the course of an entire season, I would also take that. It's just interesting to dissect the fact, hey, it looked like Ty France could have taken a big step forward in the first half, but then his second half led him to have roughly the same season he did in 2021 with a few more home runs. He had a career high 20 home runs in the 2022 season. So I don't know if I give you a definitive answer on that, Lyle. It's, it's, it's a little puzzling to me. I think time will tell with that because if he gets back to being the Ty France of the first half or even Ty France in 2021 here early on in the 2023 season, I think we'll be able to see it was probably related to injury. I still have hope that Ty France can continue to take steps and be an even better first baseman and be more like the first baseman he was in the first half of 22. And the reason for that is he's not quote unquote injury prone. Like his injuries are freak accidents between getting nailed on the wrist by or wrist or forearm area by Dustin May, who throws incredibly hard, getting an elbow strain from being ran into on a throw up the line in the field, and getting hit by a million pitches throughout his Mariners tenure. He's had some bad luck. And if some of that luck could just turn the other way, and he just maybe could avoid getting hit by so many pitches here in 2023. I don't see why he couldn't be a top four to five first baseman in baseball. I mean, the bat suggests he can be. He can be, again, not sold. Because hit by pitches aren't necessarily, first of all, not necessarily bad luck. Some hitters just get hit by a lot of pitches. Just ask Anthony Rizzo. And getting hit by a lot of pitches doesn't necessarily mean hit by pitches are going to ruin your offensive approach at the plate. Luke Arkins guy on Mariners Twitter writes for Jason Churchill at Prospects Insider does a fantastic job diving into the numbers and finding some things related to Ty France and it it was kind of funny Lyle and I were looking at it there's a lot of people talking about Ty France today including us so I'm glad that we're on brand so Luke Arkins took a look into the most 20 hit by pitch season since 1947 Ty's not on this list, of course, because he's only been in the big league for big leagues for better parts of three seasons. Anthony Rizzo has six. His he has never, by the way, Anthony Rizzo has never gone on the IL for as many hit by pitches as he's had for a wrist or arm injury related to a hit by pet uh, hit by pitch. Craig Biggio's on there as well. He has six. A couple others: Carlos Quinton, Chase Utley. I mean, some guys we're not we're talking about that not known for having too many injuries related to their wrists and arms like Ty France's. So it could just be a tie problem, to be honest. It could be. Not necessarily a hit-by-pitch problem, just a tie one. 
he does crowd the plate a little bit. I mean, that left arm does extend out toward the inside part of the plate. So it's fair to say that could play into it. In fact, speaking of Luke Arkins, he put this out this week too, that when you look at the Mariners all-time list in hit-by-pitches in their Mariners tenure, Ty France is fifth on that list with 50. In fact, he has 1,500 less at-bats than anybody on that list that's ahead of him. And he ranks fifth on that list of Mariners. That, I mean, I want to believe there is some bad luck involved in that, but maybe you're right. If he really crowds the plate and the way he stands could play a factor into it. And it could have something to do with the second half performance as well. Guys do wear down in the second half. But another thing Luke Arkins pointed out in his article, Ty France was far from the only notable name to have a second half slump. He put together a list of guys based on their weighted on-base average. Weighted on-base average is essentially on-base percentage, but it's measured according to singles, doubles, triples, home runs, hit-by-pitches, etc. It is all weighted. So obviously a home run is more than a single in terms of on base. And he's looking at the biggest changes of first half and second half of uh, changes in WOBA, which again is short for weighted on base average. Here's some notable names in front of Ty France who had a worse second half comparative to their first half. Raphael Devers didn't stop the Red Sox from giving him 13 years, $331 million. Did it? No. Cattell Marte, very good hitter. Alejandro Kirk, up there for the conversation of the best catcher in baseball. Jose Ramirez, Luis Arise, the batting champ. Dansby Swanson, got $177 million from the Cubs. I mean, Ty France isn't alone in this group. Some pretty notable names on that list. Now, for the Mariners' sake, you don't want Ty France doing that because they needed his bat down the stretch. Even though they had Julio, Ty France is supposed to be that other reliable bat in the lineup. And when he he gets moved down from the two-hole to the five-hole and he starts producing less, he's not driving in as many runs, it's kind of an anchor dragging your lineup. If you've gotten guys on in front of him and he's not coming through. I guess it was just shocking to see him go through those struggles. And every ball player goes through struggles to some extent at some point, but to see him struggle for as prolonged a period of time as we saw him have issues in the second half at the plate, it was just puzzling because he's been such a model of consistency throughout most of his early career. He's been such a great bat, but that just wasn't the case in the second half. So like we said, time might just have to tell on who Ty France really is as a hitter. And I think this season will tell a lot. You just cross your fingers, he can stay healthy. But if he can't, and he ends up on the IL at some point this year, who in the world is replacing him? That's the other part of this first base preview. Who's behind Ty France at this point? I was literally about to ask you that question. I don't know. I was doing my research last night, and I text you. I'm like... This Mariners infield, especially at first base, is one injury away from being totally fucked. (laughs) Totally. There is nothing in the organization behind Ty France. Well, do we want to have the conversation about Evan White Lyle? Are you ready? Ready? The 26 OPS plus? Are we are we ready for that conversation? I think it I think it was 23. 
if if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, no, uh, 24 WRC plus in 2021 oh, w- for Evan White. Okay, WRC plus. I think his OPS plus might have been even lower. If we want to confirm it, I can look it up. But I was going to say, when you talk about players behind Ty France, there is a guy on a six-year, $24 million contract in this organization to play first base who hasn't been on the field in the better part of two years in Evan White. And we still don't know the status of his health. That would be the logical option if France goes down. But he is a big question mark these days. Again, nearly two years since he's been on a big league field. He had hip surgery in July of 2021, core surgery right after that. And as soon as the season ends, the lockout starts. So team doctors can't check in on Evan. And there's a lot of cloudiness regarding his recovery. And he didn't debut in the minor leagues until late, 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 late into the season. He only appeared in 28 AAA games in 2022 where he was fine. You see an 800 OPS. He had, uh, Let's look at the slash line, 204, 308. 484. That's about what Cal Raleigh puts up at the big league level. But in Tacoma, that's really not that impressive. That's about the median OPS. If you look at it across the league, especially in the PCL, they just crush baseballs in that environment. So I'm not all that impressed with Evan. It just doesn't, it doesn't suggest anything that he's got his timing back. It doesn't suggest anything that he is feels like he's ready for baseball. Spring training will be interesting to see how Evan White has progressed. And if they're really going to put him on the roster, could they? The other option is now that they signed Tommy Lastella and he's expected to be on the big league roster, Lastella can play some first base. So you can throw him over at the first base spot if France goes down and you don't trust Evan White, whether he's not healthy or you still think he has more development to do in the minors considering how much he struggled at the plate in the big league so far. Okay, I had that right. He had a 23 OPS plus in 2021. He had a 24 WRC plus. I I don't even know how that happens. I mean, 23 OPS plus is 77% (laughs) below league average. That is really bad. And I know he didn't play that many games. To be exact, he only played 30. But yeah, there's cause for concern if France goes down. We threw a bitch fit at Abe Toro all year, and he's running a 62 WRC+, plus, which my quick math will say that is 36 points higher than Evan White's in 2021. That is incredible. <laughs> Wait. That would be 39, because Evan White had 23, Toro had 62. Right? Oh, Are we about right. to try to... See, yeah, I'm not a math major. Yeah, we're not math majors at all um but yeah i think i i did it i did the math as being never mind it doesn't matter (laughs) i was wrong no you're good yeah so point being you don't want either of those guys playing first base if that's going to be their production is there some cause to warrant belief that evan white could still resurrect his career sure he was a big prospect and a first round pick for a reason but he's got a lot to make up in terms of rehab and just plate approach in the big leagues to get to that point. I'm not trying to trash on Evan and the monetary value of the contracts, not all that much, but that signing has to go down as one of the just stupidest decisions this front office has made. I mean, not even close. 
I mean, it seemed safe. It seemed safe at the time, right? Because he was such a safe player in the minors that you figured he'd put up some production, at least with his defense. But yeah, he hasn't even been on the field, which is so tough. And it's too bad because his defense is the best in baseball among first basemen. That's not even up for debate. He is the best defensive first baseman in baseball when he's healthy. But he hasn't really had much of a chance to display it in the last couple of years because he hasn't been on the field. Now, Lyle, how much do we think Dylan Moore gets a shot at first? If there's injuries, it's possible. And if they decide that maybe Sam Haggerty could slide back to second base and he could platoon a little bit with Colton Wong and you have to slide Demo over to first if France can't play or needs some days off, yeah, it could happen. Dylan Moore played a little bit of first base over the last couple of years. He's not a natural but he's a natural athlete. So if he has to play first base, he can do it. It's just not ideal. There's a couple other guys I threw out here as well. Possible trade candidates. Jokingly, Eric Hosmer, because he's a fan favorite. <laughs> Seth Brown from Oakland would be an option. Luke Voigt, he's a free agent. If you want him, just sitting out there. Well, do you want him? Well, do you want Evan White? I don't know. I mean, I, I doubt Luke Voigt's going to stay unsigned into, let's say, May or June. I would have to think somebody's going to sign him at some point in spring training. So at that point, you probably have to roll with either Listella or Evan White. Let's just hope Ty France not only stays healthy, but goes back to being the Ty France that we've grown to know, aka cutting out that second half of 2022, because he is such a great hitter and such a key piece to this end lineup when he's healthy and playing. He is one of the best hitters in the lineup. You can argue he's the second best hitter behind Julio when he's firing on all cylinders. There's a reason he made the all-star game. Not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm just trying to think, who's playing first base on an off day? Is it going to be Cooper Hummel? Is it going to be Dylan? Is it going to be... if Like you said, I guess Listello when he makes the roster... Going to put Gino at first? No, I, I doubt Tom that. Murphy? Does he even play first just base? Puzzling I don't know. It gave me a headache to do research on this. It, it gave me such a headache. It's going to give me a headache, too, when we look at the other positions on the infield. Because I think a lot, a lot of the same qualifies that there's just not much depth there around the infield. There's not much major league ready talent in the minor leagues. A lot of this depth is going to have to come by trade. Something we'll have to think about as we go along. Okay, let's let's close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. All right, Lyle, what's on your mind today? I'm going to start it with a question. Did you ever watch that 70s show? I did not. Oh, you never did? It was such a popular show. No. Okay. That was one of my favorite shows in high school, really middle school and high school. They're running a spinoff now called That 90s Show. When I found out about it, it wasn't so sold because so many of these spinoff shows do terribly. But the reviews so far are really good on it. And I saw a couple clips on Twitter the past week and I laughed. I was like, this is funny. So now I'm going to have to sit down and actually watch it and give it a chance because 
again, I loved the show so much growing up. I never really wanted to give the spinoff a chance or the sequel show a chance because so often they just don't do well. But now I'm going to keep an open mind because you never know. Maybe it turns out like Cobra Kai, which was a really good sequel show. It's too bad. I, I was I was hoping to hear that you'd watch the show because maybe we could go back and forth about it a little bit. But oh well. No. Have you gotten a chance to watch Left 4 Dead? No, I haven't watched that. Is it good? Well, I watched... Yeah, it's been pretty good. I didn't even play the video game, but the first show was was good. I like zombie shows, and I like zombie shows with a story, and it looks like it has potential to be better than The Walking Dead, which really kind of flew off the rails after season three when I stopped watching it. So that'll be something, I guess, for me to look forward to, and you have that 90s show to look forward to as well. Yeah. That would be you you really okay. went to the op- you really went to the opposite end of the spectrum there. You were like, "Oh yeah, that show you're looking forward to watching about a bunch of high school kids in Wisconsin that hang out and sit in their basement all day. Oh, you should watch a show that mirrors The Walking Dead." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just seems like the two different places our minds in what when thinking about TV nowadays. Exactly. Well, I'll give it a shot. All right, well, that's good. And maybe you'll have to watch that 90s show and that 70s show as well to see if we can figure that out. My Speak Your Mind, I have a quote pulled up from something that happened this week. Only in the NBA does this happen. Shannon Sharp, NFL Hall of Famer, host of Undisputed, courtside at a Lakers game, manages to have a shouting match with players on the sideline. There's this hilarious photo that looked like an album cover floating around Twitter the discourse the next two hours after that was the funniest thing ever. And the fact that Dylan Brooks, after the game, gets asked about Shannon Sharp wearing whatever he was. I think he was wearing a wife beater and and jeans tucked into a belt. Was, it just peaked this league energy with the NBA where no other league comes close. That a Hall of Famer and another league is just sitting there on the sidelines talking trash to, to players during action. Let me read you some of these quotes. So Shannon Sharp, when he got escorted off the court, got an interview with ESPN. And here's what Shannon said they were saying. They don't want that smoke, Dave, he told the reporter. They do all that talking and jockeying, and I ain't about that jockeying. It all started with Dylan Brooks. I said, quote, he was too small to guard LeBron. He said, fuck me. And I said, fuck you back. <laughs> he started to come at me and I said, you don't want these problems. And then Ja came out of nowhere talking. He definitely didn't want these problems. And then his dad came over and we didn't want no problems either. Like a guy sitting on the sidelines like, yep, I'm just going to fight Dylan Brooks, Ja Morant and Ja Morant's dad. Let's do it. <laughs> that was where I saw most of the discourse is it was between Ja's dad and Shannon Sharp, which, again, is just so unreal and peak NBA in itself. So many people seem to be on Shannon Sharp's side about this. And my take is, if Shannon Sharp hosted a show on his own, it was his own show, I think more people would look at him and say, yeah, you made kind of a fool of yourself at that game. But the fact that he does not host a show on his own and his co-host happens to be not all that well liked, to put it lightly. I think people were just jumping at the bit to side with Shannon because they're thinking, oh, well, this is going to get talked about on their show. So it's more fun to take Shannon's side, and that's why they did. 
Undisputed, I don't even know how many people watch that show, to be honest, but it seems like the players watch it more than actual people do. <laughs> because you have people like this reacting to Shannon Sharp over things he probably says on television. And then I think back to, to Jair Alexander about a month ago, just out of nowhere in a press conference scrum, saying, Hey, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, whenever you talk about me, make sure you mention that I am the best in the NFL at my position. I'm like, that's so random. You're, <laughs> of all these things you could think about in your press conference, you're like, nope, I need to own Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. <laughs> and Jair Alexander is a top five corner in the league, at least. The fact that he is so worried about what like, essentially a comedy show has to say about him i mean just seems like wasted energy it is wasted energy anything pertaining skip bayless is wasted energy whenever he says something just know he is as scripted as the nba is his DAC <laughs> video this weekend phenomenal you can see him standing there if you haven't seen it go to his twitter account and watch it you can see him standing at the door, <laughs> holding his jersey out, waiting for his wife to hit the counter like this to say, go, <laughs> and walk around the corner <laughs> and bundle up his Dak jersey and go, <gasps> the most the, scripted the, person in the world. The way he stomped off at the end of that video is what continues <laughs> yeah. to get me. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, I don't know scripted. how anyone marries that man. It's incredible. That was a fun Twitter bit to see over the past week. The NBA knows how to stir up drama. That's to say the least. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer podcast. If you guys want to continue to follow us, you can listen to the full podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or get the video version on YouTube. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, and TikTok. You can follow those channels at Marine Layer Pod. Well, thanks so much again to Jordan Schusterman for TJ Matthewson. This is Lyle Goldstein. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah.